Today's program is brought to you by Tabard Inn, new American cuisine in one of Washington, D.C.'s oldest hotels, located in DuPont Circle. For more information, visit tabardinn.com. Hi, this is Celia Kutcher, host of Animal Instinct, and you are listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Welcome to We Dig Plants on the Heritage Radio Network. I'm Alice Marcus Krieg. And I'm Carmen DeVito. And we bring the culture to culture. So here in the States, we're beginning to see a lot of color changing in the leaves. Yeah. It's finally turned the corner into fall weather. Carmen was just in way, way, way upstate New York. Western. Experiencing <laughs> the blasty cold. <laughs> yeah, I was on the on the border of Canada. Yeah. I went to Western New York to go look at some colleges with my son. It was very beautiful farm country. Sure. Really nice. So we're starting to feel the effects of the earth rotating away from the sun. We're starting to think about warm, toasty drinks and amazing sugar maples ablaze with color and pumpkins. So it's a week before Halloween and the gardens are looking the most magical because we've had such a great... Really warm fall. Really great fall. And dry. Yeah, yeah. So um, the landscape is always so telling and informative as to what the earth is actually doing, right? So my thoughts, along with the landscape and along with the sun, are receding into deep, dark crevices. <laughs> That's what happens to me in the winter. <laughs> Going to a dark place. <laughs> and and it's, it's perfect timing with Halloween... Thank you for this background music, <laughs> David. Death as we enter the All Hallows Eve. Halloween is a time of celebration and superstition. It's thought to have originated with the ancient Celtic festival of Samhain, Samhain, S-A-M-H-A-I-N, when people would light bonfires and wear costumes to ward off the roaming ghosts. Now, I was lucky enough to spend some time in Ireland a while back, in the burn on the west coast and i was able to experience some of that irish mysticism plus as i come from scotch irish ancestry i have an obsession with how land shapes our history how gardens transform us as a culture and inform our identity so the burn is a really magical landscape it's along the west coast it's on the ocean as you look west and while i was there i was fascinated with the flowers and how they got to the burn the palm trees, yes, palm trees in Ireland, and the South American species of seeds that travel the Gulf Coast, and they end at the burn. So it's this really weird place of Arctic and Alpine and Mediterranean species that can only grow in the limestone bed. That's interesting. The rolling hills of the burn are comprised of limestone pavements with crisscrossing cracks known as grikes, leaving isolated rocks called clints. The region supports Arctic, Mediterranean, and Alpine plants side by side. 
due to the unusual environment. The limestones date from 350 million years ago. So this is a land that is steeped in mystery and history. To describe the burn through language, I'd invite listeners to imagine limestone rock, miles and miles of limestone cliffs, with a summit that is easy to walk on. Once you get up there, the wind is tremendous, and it howls right through you. And you're lucky if you see another visitor. It's empty, quiet, and haunting. There are ancient tombs and fences, uh, stone fences, and then there's these fissures as far as the eye can see, the Grikes, and they're filled with life. So you have this gray limestone housing green ribbons of life, and they're wildflowers, truly ancient and you cannot avoid the past and your own self and your dark thoughts (laughs) and the history of that earth that is so apparent spending time in the burn not only informed and cemented my love for landscape but also taught me much about culture migration and how powerful the past connects to the present day so as we enter our dark period of fires and the need to ward off our past ghosts And we celebrate the end of the year and death that is such a part of life. I thought it fitting to interview a garden designer, Mary Reynolds. She's an Irish garden designer extraordinaire. And I learned about Mary through a Smithsonian article on mysticism and gardening. Her book, The Garden Awakening, came out earlier this year, combining the magic of old Irish ways, sacred patterns, and symbols the power of intention and sound organic management practices to create spaces in nature that can ex- that can truly express itself and fulfill its own destiny. This process unites the gardener, the custodian of the land, to experience a personal transformation in which their painful separation from land is healed. Healed. That's a really interesting word. Mm-hmm. Not often used in garden design no. circles. Right, to think of, of the land needing to be healed and to heal heal yourself you know, the, because yeah. of what we've done as a mm-hmm. species, right? So in addition to writing this amazing book, Mary, with her roots in natural garden theory, seeks to create spaces that are healing, truthful, and magical. She's a Chelsea Flower Show gold medal winner. She's designed gardens internationally for more than 17 years, including commissions in Kew Royal Botanic Gardens in London, as well as occasional stints of garden television presenting for RTE and the BBC. Mostly she spends her time growing two very magical wild children who are the stars of Mary's Garden. Um, Let me read from the introduction of Mary's book because I think it sort of condenses the idea in a beautiful and simple way. And I quote, Everything becomes simple if you immerse yourself in nature. Life's complications melt away, leaving only the truth of the present moment and the presence of what I call God. In this place, we can see our soul reflected in every living thing, every gust of wind and splash of rain, and here we can find peace. This is our true home. Yet we are losing what little wild places we have left in nature, those corners where the spirits of the earth are flowing freely, where harmony and balance still exist, and we feel accepted for the truth of who we are. We have gone off course and need to find our way again. 
an old pathway overgrown and forgotten is waiting impatiently to lead us back home. Nature is willing us on. Welcome, Mary. Hi, how are you? Hi, how are you? <laughs> Good, thank you. Yeah. So chapter one of your book, Restoring Wellness. Um, earlier in my intro, you would, you would use the word healed, and, and I quoted you, healed. Can you tell us about restoring wellness and healing and what happened to us as humans that we need to have our healing and wellness restored? And if you can say it in Gaelic, all the better. <laughs> okay. Okay. Well, um, well, so, uh, I'm keen to go out. Dina Gage, Dr. Nucht, um, uh, so Gavmaleska, because Neil Milley for Kerbet, that called Kupla Rodegan Le Rogam, when, um, is doing Ah Nashka, a yin of Leshen Down, August Neil Mording, Quiv Newark, Haim with Fane. And what I'm saying there is that we have disconnected from the earth very, very strongly, and we did that. We basically ripped holes in our hearts when we stopped being in connection with the earth and that happened when we basically stopped growing our own food because mm-hmm. after that point the land had no value to us apart from looking pretty and the the land itself is is the embodiment of the feminine energy and so when we it's a like I, I truly believe as as all of our ancient cultures have believed is that the land is um, simply a reflection of it's guardians. Right. And we've forgotten that our role in the world is one of guardian, and we are supposed to be here to look after this land. And our constant um, lack of connection with the earth that we are supposed to be minding has led to um, a huge hole in our hearts, which we constantly are trying to fill up with connecting to other things and causes it's a connection that we try and fill with addictions of all, all kinds, <laughs> and um, including shopping or going to the gym or meditation which kind of is, is very important in so many ways but really um, people who are in touch with nature automatically have that same energy that people who meditate for 10 years eventually come to right and um, so what happened to me was that I there was a movie made about my life which will be released in America at some point next year um, a movie called Dare to be Wild and um I decided to write a book about my work for this film coming out, which it was released in Ireland there in September. And um, what happened was, as I started to write about my work, I realized that even though all the gardens that I've been designing are very, very beautiful and they're designed within the, in the, within the shapes and patterns of nature, so they're within the harmony of the universal flow of energy. They, the land itself didn't want to remain as I had designed it. The land itself had its own intentions. So I wrote myself out of a job and I realized that everything I was doing was wrong and that I wasn't really working in harmony with the earth in any way. And um, I had to rethink everything I was doing. And so it took me five years to figure that out and I wrote myself back into a job and. The information I've discovered along the way is very, very important and very, very simple. And the information um, is in, is yeah, I mean, I've put it together in my book. And I suppose it would be a very, very unique book, but it's old information. It's not new. It's just stuff that we've forgotten. Mm-hmm. Um, 
we all knew this at one point, and when you when you read it, it's so obvious, you know. Can you tell us um, when I read the book, there was a, an incident where you were driving around the countryside, kind of thinking about this garden that you were working on, and there was a piece of wood that you saw. Can you tell us about the wood incident? Okay, <laughs> that was that was near, yeah. That's a funny. That's a funny one. That's um, basically. Um, I was driving along a country road. I was building a garden for one of those television makeovers. This was a long time ago, you know? and um, the, the budget was tiny. You right. Know? So right. I had to come. I had to beg, borrow, and steal. And I had a I had a brand new um, I had a brand new car at the time. You know, a van, little van, and I drove along and. I spotted um, a beautiful, twisted kind of sculptural piece of wood on on kind of a hillock along the roadside, a little, you know, blade of of oak and beech trees. So I kind of pulled the car in and I jumped over the stone wall and went up the hill and took, took the piece of wood off the ground. And as I took the piece of wood, I had a very strong feeling that I was like, I felt like a bold child. You know, I was doing something really wrong. This wasn't the right thing to do. But back then, I wasn't really in touch with what I was doing, you know. So I kind of just ignored it. I shrugged it off and brought the piece of wood down. Like, you know, what could be the harm in taking a piece of wood, you know? Right, right. Um, Anyway, I put it in the back of the car, jumped into the car. There was definitely this feeling of, like, being watched by your mum, knowing that you're being a really bold and that you're doing something really wrong, you know? Mm-hmm. And so I turned the key in my brand new van and it wouldn't start. There and, you uh, go. I, I, kind of, I kind of fiddled around and I couldn't figure it out. I looked under the bonnet, I didn't know what I was at, but, you know, pushed things and nothing happened. And so I kind of rang somebody and I sat back and I realized that every piece of land is is, is a very strong... I, I sat back to wait for the garage people to come and fix the car, you know, or tow mm-hmm. the car away. And um, when I was waiting, I realized the land was kind of smirking at me. <laughs> there was this feeling of, well, you know, that's what happens when you ignore who you truly are and who we are. And basically, as I, you know, when the garage people came out, the earth wire had fallen out of the car out of the engine it had just suddenly got loose and I've always found that with cars it always sounds like a strange thing but whenever there's something wrong with my car it usually reflects what's going on with me you know mm-hmm. um, so at the moment say last week my, my engine is faulty um, my heart is faulty because I was half falling in love with someone and I realised Jesus this is not a good plan but my engine decided to to copy me you know <laughs> but um, awesome. anyway that would be typical but what I realized in that what, I suppose what that story was related to was my understanding that all pieces of land are uniquely individual personalities the same way that each each person has a unique personality and each piece of land has boundaries and 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 and, and it feels pain and and it gets damaged and can be healed and can uh, can find, you know, can find full health. And I kind of understood that um, some pieces of land are easier to get well than others, just like people. Some people, you know, it takes them years to recover from a certain incident, whereas other people would shrug it off in seconds. Mm-hmm. So every every piece of land is a unique individual. And also what I understood was that every piece of land is like a child. Um, most land wants to become a multi-tiered woodland system. That's when it's a stable, mature individual. And that's when it's 
completely supported above and below the soil by by a community of creatures. Mm-hmm. And it's stable and it's taken millions of years for the earth to evolve into this most stable, balanced system. And when you have a garden, it's a vulnerable piece of cleared land. And most land, unless it's the top of a, of a mountain or a savanna or a floodplain, wants to become woodland. That's what it wants to be. Mm-hmm. So... How do you allow land to become what it wants to be and still and still work in harmony with it in the small spaces that we get to look after? Mm-hmm. And it's, it's a hugely challenging thing for people to take on board. And then the third part of that puzzle, with, you know, like I understood how to design shapes in harmony with nature. Now I understood what the land itself wanted to become. But the third part of that puzzle, which really blew my book open for me really was my understanding that our lack of connection with the earth and the fact that we have stopped growing our own food has caused a serious issue and that issue is that we are growing all our foods by industrial farming as you know even organic farming is not good enough Mm -hmm. the organic farming processes are still depleting the soil they're still using certain chemicals they're still causing um you know, they're still not allowing the land to become become a mature, stable, balanced system. Mm-hmm. And 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 what I understood was that if we are just reflections of the earth beneath our feet, then the, the fact that we are eating food that is completely that is being grown with poisons, and no wonder everybody is getting sick. And that the only way you can really truly step away from that system is to return. If you're lucky enough to have a piece of land you can call your own is to return to growing your food and your fuel in as much as you possibly can and do it in a way that allows the land to become what it wants to become, which is a multi-tiered woodland system. And it's the oldest way of working with land that people have often always done throughout history. We've just forgotten it. Mm-hmm. So the black earth soils in the Amazon, for example, they are the most fertile soils in the world in the Amazon basin, the rainforest. But those, those places where the, the earth has black earth are the places where humans were living. The other parts of the Amazon where there wasn't humans living, there's very infertile brown soils. But where humans were living and they were, they were, for thousands of years, they were creating, they were bringing in other plants that were more useful to them and they were mulching the soil constantly and they were, they were, they were allowing combinations of plants on multi, multi-layers. And they were basically working with the land in a very harmonious way they were working with plants that were native, but they were also allowing themselves to bring in plants that were more food and fuel mm-hmm. and would remove plants that weren't of use or that were too overpowering in this particular system. Mm-hmm. So it's a very simple thing, but I think we really need to step away from this very, very negative industrial farming system. And the only way you can truly do that and affect it is to stop buying that food. And the only way you can do that is to grow your own. And, and, and to do it in this way is very, very... It's based on perennial plants as opposed to annual plants. Mm-hmm. And it involves changing the way we look at what we eat. But if you truly want to live in harmony with this earth and you want to do something extremely powerful and, and important, the only thing you can really do is to step out of that system and truly take care of the little piece of land that, you can, that, that we're all able to take care of and the magic that happens when you start to take care of that system when you take care of that little piece of land and you truly reconnect with it again the land forms a relationship with you 
And that's that relationship that fills that hole in our heart because the land is a living being. And it forms a relationship with you just like it does with a child. With a child and you, like you're a parent, and it looks to you for guidance. And you can dress your garden, your land, in a pink tutu, <laughs> and you can tell it to look pretty and smile when the neighbours come around, and to stay still and not move. And you can punish it when it moves or changes. But the child just wants to be loved, so it'll try really hard to stay in that pink tutu. But mm-hmm. it cannot help itself. It cannot help but revert to its true nature. So it will become a teenager and it'll start to burst out of those pink tutu seams and you'll just punish it and spray it and tell it to get back in its box. Mm-hmm. Or you could look at what the individual unique child wants to become itself and you can be a true guardian and a true parent and you can, uh, you can, you can help this land become its truly unique self and, and guide it into a mature, independent being. So, so tell us about um, you. You talk a lot about this and and the bacteria effects and no-till methods. Can you yeah. can you talk about that and sure. kind of those yeah, I mean, older principles? It sounds very, a bit like I mean, uh, the biggest ecosystem that we have on the planet is beneath the, the soil, and the worst possible thing you can do is expose that that ecosystem to oxygen, too much oxygen, and it kills all the bacteria and the, it disturbs the, the network of mycorrhizae which are the roots of fungi. Now these, but back, this is kind of well known at this stage but it might not be well known in, in terms of gardening because for years we've been told to dig over the soil, dig over the soil. So basically if you expose the soil you take away um, its covering of plants and you keep it bare which is often what people do. It's, it's like tearing the skin off your arm and the land its natural defense scabbing mechanism. It needs to scab over that cut that you've just created, so it activates its very intelligent weed seed bank in the soil. And it tries to basically cover in that cut as quickly as possible. And rather than allowing that to happen, we, we, we pull the weeds out and we, we use chemicals, which are an absolute disaster. They kill all the bacteria in the soil. You can't even water your plants with, um, with the tap water that you're given in, 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 through, through your urban systems because there's chlorine in it and the chlorine kills the bacteria in the soil. Mm-hmm. The bacteria in the soil is exactly the same as the bacteria in your gut. It's your health. It's your, it's your absolute health. Your health is based on the bacteria in your gut and it's the same in the soil. And the mycorrhizae roots, there's thousands of miles in them in, of, of roots in, in a healthy, undisturbed soil. There's thousands of miles in just one square foot and those miles and miles of little tiny white roots, they have a symbiotic relationship with the, with the roots of plants. And what they do is themselves and the bacteria work very closely with the plants themselves. They're very intelligent. When the plant is in need of a particular, a particular mineral, the, plant, the, 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 the fungi, the mycorrhizae will go and get that mineral and transport it back along the, the network and give it to the plant in a symbiotic relationship, which the plant gives the fungi sugars from mm-hmm. carbohydrates from photosynthesis in mm-hmm. return for the for the for this work that the mycorrhizae and the bacteria do and what happens is that when we grow food in our gardens we are basically walking plants and if we have a relationship with this land we are just walking plants and if we need anything for our own physical health 
the land because I explained to people you need to be barefoot in your land, you need to connect with the soil as much as you can. The land gets to know you through your skin, the bacteria and the enzymes in your own skin react with the bacteria and the enzymes in the soil and they will know when you need a particular mineral or vitamin and they will get it for you and they will bring it back and they will put it into the food that you're eating there. And that that sounds probably wacky and wild, but that's my understanding of it. Mm -hmm. It sounds a little bit, Mary, like permaculture. Is it something like that? Well, permaculture is, is, is I mean, this, this, well, permaculture, yes. I mean, permaculture, there's certain things about permaculture which are, it's a permanent agriculture as right. opposed to annual agriculture. So, yes, I mean, it does incorporate a lot of those ideas, but it wouldn't be, it'd be more natural gardening. I mean, the guy who edited my book, Larry Korn, is one of my biggest heroes. Mm-hmm. He was um, very much involved um, with Masanobu Fukuyoko, who wrote a very um, influential book called One Straw Revolution. And this is a book about natural farming. And, mm-hmm. um, and then he went on to edit another book called Sowing Seeds in the Desert. And Larry has just written a book which was released this year called One Straw Revolutionary, which explains the concepts of natural farming which are extremely important. And it's all about the less you do, the less you do. But the problem is that we cannot allow a piece of land to go wild. That's not what I'm asking people to do because we've done too much damage. We're responsible for bringing these pieces of land back to health as quickly as possible. And if you leave a child go wild, there is a good chance to survive, but it won't necessarily do very well. Right. you're, you're missing out on forming a relationship with it mm-hmm. if you leave it go wild and you don't actually interact with it. You know. Mm-hmm. So let let me let me skip ahead a little bit because you make your living as a garden designer, right? So tell us the pivotal the pivotal moment for you, kind of academically and with public accolades was the Chelsea Flower Show, right, where you won the gold. But tell us about that design and how that kind of changed things for you. Okay, well, that was my the first part of my puzzle, really. Um, and it was years later that I came to this further understanding. But the movie Dare to be Wild is based on this particular garden and my under, and my kind of my kind of um, breakthrough ideas at that point in my life when I was I was 27 at that point and um, basically I realized that I didn't want to continue designing gardens in different styles like I really wanted the energy of nature to be present in land in gardens that I created mm-hmm. and I realized that if I built something with a very strong intention that that intention was held very strongly in the land and so I built a garden which was basically very simple. It was very Irish. It was just dry stone walls and wildflowers and hawthorn trees. And um, I just wanted a piece of land that was very quiet and very simple. But the intention I built it with, and I, did, I made sure that everybody building this garden understood what they were doing. And the intention was that the land, the garden that we built in London in three weeks, which, you know, I wanted it to remind people of how important and beautiful wild places were and that we needed to start protecting them. Mm-hmm. And it was very interesting, and that's what, that's kind of, I learned an awful lot from that. It was the first time I had I had tried a garden like that. And I, 
it was only through naivety that I tried it at, at something as big as the Chelsea Flower Show because <laughs> I didn't I didn't know that it was such a big deal and I kind of I blog I basically lied my way into the show. Um, I I um, I forged the sponsorship documents from an obscure company in Beirut that I thought nobody would find, and um, I kind of blogged my way in, you know, and I eventually did find the money in a very magical and, and amazing way, which is why the movie is so beautiful. But what happened was that when people were queuing up to look at the garden at the show, anybody Irish passed by that would just say, oh, it's this lovely, just like a little piece of Ireland, because we still have that, that energy here in Ireland. It's very, very powerful and very strong here. That wild, natural energy is, is still here. And, and it's not very far away. But in a lot of places, like in England and beyond, people were crying. Everybody wanted to tell me their stories of how they remember these places mm-hmm. from when they were young. They all had a memory of places that had this atmosphere of nature and how they're all gone. And they were all grieving. And everybody was crying and everybody wanted to tell me their stories. <laughs> I realized then that building something with intention really really worked. It's a bit like raising your children with intention. If you intend that child to be to be a unique individual, it will become a unique individual because it has that power behind it, you know? Right. You call it magic uncloaked. Um, yeah. So, hang on. We have to take a break. Stay on the line, Mary. You're listening to We Dig Plants on Heritage Radio Network. following program has been brought to you by Tabard Inn. Tabard Inn, Washington, D.C.'s quintessential small hotel, is located on a quiet tree-lined street just five blocks from the White House. Vibrant yet unassuming, the Tabard is comprised of 40 sleeping rooms, each unique in character and design. Feast on eclectic American cuisine in their acclaimed restaurant or enjoy a cocktail and listen to live jazz in one of their cozy Victorian seating areas. Mingle with travelers from around the world who find the Tabard the only place to stay when taking their travels to Washington. For more information, visit tabardin.com. Hi, welcome back. We are talking today with Mary Reynolds, Irish garden designer, and her book, The Garden Awakening, Designs to Nurture Our Land and Ourselves. Um, Before the break, we were talking about tools of intention and and designing with intention and the Chelsea Flower Show uh, garden design that won gold. And we spoke about magic uncloaked. Um, So, Mary... It, was it after the Chelsea Flower Show that you kind of started looking into those ancient practices um, and you started thinking about um, those ancient, like, druid practices? And, and is that when which, you... Which, which ones exactly? Sorry, you'll have to just specify. Um, is it more um, the... the, the about, well, no, I guess I was always interested in those things. Okay. Um, 
that that stuff was always in my work okay after, after Chelsea so you know I would I, I understood that certain symbols had certain intentions within them and if you use them in your designs that, that those intentions would be held within the garden space okay um, I understood that if you created spaces with a very strong intention like a place like an, an, a place to go at night time as far away from your house as you can where you can actually experience what it's like to be in the dark and um, really kind of reconnect with nature because that's when it's very powerful because your your sight is, is less and, you know, you can be afraid and that's okay. You can lean into that and you can feel into the night and actually really connect with nature and, you know, the, you, you'll feel the energy of the plants. You'll feel how... You know, I mean, something happened to me when I was a young child. Um, when I was when I was a young girl, I grew up on a farm in Wexford, in, in southeast of Ireland. And when I was very young, I we had a lot of freedom. You know, I was the youngest of six children. Um, I basically wandered around the farm all day. You know, and got went went home to be fed. You know, mm-hmm. but um, what happened was I wandered away from the from the farmhouse one day and. I remember wandering into a very um, small little field. Now, the land was, was really alive when I was young. It was still full of life. It was teeming with life because the industrial, the green revolution hadn't taken over yet. Farming was still quite gentle in Ireland. Mm-hmm. They hadn't started spraying everything with chemicals and fertilizers to burn out all the fungi and bacteria in the soil. So everything was still alive. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not now. It's different now. But back then, I wandered into this very small little field at the top of the farm and a very, very powerful memory of basically when I walked into the field, the gap that I had wandered in through, I felt like something was watching me and I turned around and the gap was gone and the, the trees and the hedges had moved together and there was no way out of the field. Wow. And I was very small and I have a very powerful, strong memory of this happening. And I walked around the field and, and it was small, there was no way out, the hedges were very thorny and very thick and there's just no way out. It was really strange, and I was really scared. But what happened is it was a beautiful sunny day in May, and the smell of the hawthorn blossoms kind of, you know, calmed me down. And I sat down in the in the meadow grass, and I noticed all the little butterflies and the creatures floating around, and I got distracted. And, um, and I calmed down, and I started to reconnect with the land, and I noticed that all the plants were preening for my attention. And each plant had its own individual feeling. Um, some of them were bullies, and some of them were gentle, and some of them were quiet, and some of them pulled back, and some of them were really curious. But what, what I've understood since then is that that land and all those plants and the creatures that live in it, they're part of my family, and I'm part of theirs. And that, that familial bond is something which formed the basis of this book, is that we need to... We need to recreate those bonds, and without them, we're floating way above the earth. We're literally spaced out. Mm-hmm. And if we don't take on our role as guardian and start to look after our, the whole of our family, you know, the, the pieces of land and the, the, the land that we are, we are responsible for, we're really, we cannot really save this planet, and we're in a position where we're very close to losing our, 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 we, we, we're, we're on the edge of a cliff and we're galloping very, very closely to the edge of it. And if we don't start to take responsibility for our roles on this planet, 
we're absolutely screwed. I agree. Um, but let's talk, Mary, about um, some practical, some, some patterns and shapes in nature to start with the design process, let's say, and designing more in harmony with nature. Things, yeah. The things that you talk about, like sacred geometry, the five shapes. Talk a little bit about that and how uh, individuals, not just garden designers, but individuals can, can use that yeah. in, thinking of, in thinking about remaking and reconnecting with their pieces of the earth. Okay, well, I can... Um well, I see. Well, there's different, different, different shapes have different meanings and different symbols, and you, you know, you can, you can, you can look into them yourselves, or you can figure out yourselves which ones are important and which ones mean something. And some of them don't mean anything, and some of them do. I mean, there's a lot of stuff on the internet that you'll find is absolute rubbish. So you have to kind of be careful not to um, get caught in that. I mean, there's, I, I base it on this kind of old Irish knowledge, you know. Okay. But um, things like the circle, circles are always very, um, very um, obvious. I mean, the circle is a very, it, it, the circle of life, like everything is within that. I mean, it's a very creative, womb-like feeling. Um, I, I, I think you can't go wrong with circles. So what I do is I create spaces within the gardens. I try not to use too much space for our, our use. I think the, the maximum you should use in any size of a garden, the smallest garden, is, is, is half. And then you should reduce that as gardens get up bigger, you know? But, like, certain things like spirals. Spirals are about shifting energies, you know, change. It's all about change and, 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 and movement of energy. So if you wanted to create a space that, if you felt like you were stuck in your life, you would create a space that had a path that was very much a spiral into the center or... You know, I use labyrinths, which are the yes. original kind of mazes, and and it's very kind of you know you, you the labyrinth sort of symbols, which would have been there before people made them into these weird mazes. <laughs> they only had one path, and they all moved in and in and in into the center. And this inwards is where we all have to go um, to find what people call God. You know, or mm-hmm. doesn't really matter. But that's I mean the the, the, the movement through a, a kind of a walking meditation, which is a which is a labyrinth, is a very powerful um, action. And you you can what I do is I get people to take stones from a bowl on the outside and maybe hold that stone and walk with it into the center and you can you can either use it for a prayer or a kind of an intention and you leave it in the center then and and the land kind of manifests that for you i mean it's it's it's, it's a real kind of it is a, it is a relationship with the land which allows you to um you know it interacts it's like it's like a universal post box your land like you have you're connected to the whole world through your land once you form a mm-hmm. deep relationship and a connection with it you, you 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 it's a very simple thing you you restore your lost connection with the earth you you start you, you get healed physically from the food that you're growing there mm-hmm. because the land knows what you need and 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 you start to you heal spiritually and emotionally because the land that you are attracted to will have the same types of emotional damage that you may have yourself and you find that as you help the land to heal you'll help yourself to heal all these things like there's a part of the book a whole section on healing the land emotionally Mm -hmm. energetic physically and as you go through these steps with the land magic the magic in it is that you start to heal yourself on those same levels and so people spend years and years traveling the world trying to find themselves (laughs) when actually they can do it all 
at home in their own spaces and at the same time they can if enough of us do this if enough of us take on the guardianship of this planet in our own spaces at home we can create an interconnected web of healed places and we can truly truly take back our power and actually do something incredibly powerful um, together so let me are your clients people that are seeking this this type Generally, of yeah okay yeah so you're and not I understand what and, and i see myself as a midwife uh-huh good so helping people um because a lot of people don't have the confidence to do design work themselves even though even though my book is based on helping people to completely do the process themselves and uh-huh. not need me but i still find people definitely need need me sometimes in bigger spaces or but I try and I, I, I use them as the kind of the, the baseline. Your book for is figuring it out. Yeah, your book is very philosophical, but it's also a how-to as well. Yeah. It was it was a very uh, interesting mix. Um, yeah. Do you? I don't know if you got my outline ahead of time. Did you? Yeah. Okay. Do you have a few moments to read the Yeats poem, "The Stolen Child"? I don't have it with me. Now. Oh, Sorry. okay. No, yeah, but I love that poem. Yeah, it's um we'll have to post it. We'll have to at, post it after a, the show. I was hoping you could read it in your I'm beautiful sorry. accent. I'm sorry. That's okay. That's well, Mary, okay. it's interesting. Away, human child, the the <laughs> you know, as much as I can remember right now, but it's, it's one of my favorites. Like it's 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 all about it's all about reconnecting bringing people back into the earth, you know? For yeah. me it's about, it's about that fairy magic, that fairy People call it fairy energy, the Gaian energy, Mother Earth, that energy of nature that we really need to go back to it. We need to connect with it. If we don't, we're screwed. You know? yeah. But when you were just talking about, you know, not needing to travel, not needing to go other places to find yourself, I was remind I was born and raised for a short time on a farm in Italy by my grandparents, by my maternal grandparents. And my grandmother is very they, they didn't leave their patch of earth very often. Um, if it was up to them, they would never have left it, you know? Um, they And it, it, you're talking about it really reminded me of how connected they were mm-hmm. to the land. They really understood it. They really, yeah. um, and they didn't, you know, they probably stayed within a 10-mile radius most of their lives. Yeah. yeah. And think how different yeah. that is, because now people travel all over, and they are, I Looking. think, there's a lot of anxiety, there's a yeah. lot of disconnection, there's a lot of relationships that don't exist, that used to exist in the past. So yeah. I think you're absolutely right to um, to present this book. I think it's very, uh, very needed. Simple. Yeah. Very simple. We've just forgotten what's important. And, and when, when we lost our connection with our mother, the earth, We've we we we've forgotten we've forgotten our role on this planet and and now she's worn out she is worn out and we need to step up and grow up and start taking care of her for a change. You know? Yeah, that's yeah. a wonderful um, that's a wonderful way to end the show, Mary. I wish we had more time. We could talk for hours about yeah. this. Um, <laughs> it was I, lovely to talk to you. Thanks for listening to me ramble on. And it's 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 Samhain. Is this what you call it? Ihahana. It's Halloween. Samhain is how you pronounce it. Oh, okay. Samhain. Okay. Samhain. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> well, you, you said, Mary, your film is going to be is it going to be available in the states? Uh, yeah, soon? I, I think so. I'm, I'm giving a talk at the Smithsonian Institute in Washington, D.C., I think around St. Patrick's Day, and I think they're aiming to release it around that time, or they're hoping to, anyway. Yeah. yeah. Are you coming to New York at any time? 
Well, I have a sister in New York, Anya and Anya Schenk and Joe Schenk, and I, I love going to see them. I go stay with them quite often. So, yeah, I do. Well, please let us know next time you're here. We'd love to meet up with you, show you some gardens, and... Um, uh, have some pizza with you. <laughs> that sounds like a good plan. Thank okay. You. <laughs> Thank you so much, Mary, for taking Take care the of time. So that was a wonderful show. Uh, thank you for joining us. You can uh, read more about it um, on our Facebook page, We Dig Plants, Groundworks Inc. Also on our Instagram, um, Groundworks Gardens NYC, on Twitter at We Dig Plants, and our new website, We Dig Plants Podcast.com. Um, happy gardening. See you in the garden. And happy Halloween. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.